Support for the Barefoot Blues Hour comes from the Belfast Framer and Betts Gallery, featuring custom framing, prints, posters, and monthly exhibits of original art. Open weekdays 10 to 5 or by appointment at 96 Main Street, Belfast, 338-6465 or thebelfastframer.com. On the Wing, Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., where you will hear the latest releases in folk, rock, world, jazz, and much more. Only on Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, and streaming worldwide at WERU.org. Support for WERU health-related programming comes from the Penobscot Bay Press, committed to providing community news and information, publishing three weekly newspapers, the Weekly Packet, Island Advantages, the Castine Patriot, the Annual Bay Community Register, the Summer Seasonal Guide, and more. Also on the web at www.penobscotbaypress.com. It is 10 o'clock and time for Healthy Options with your host, Andre Bella. Stay tuned. I'm Andre Bella, your host today for Healthy Options, a radio show about integrative medicine. Today we're going to be talking about some of those nasty chemicals found in skincare products. And this is not just for the ladies, this is also for the guys. So guys, we want you to listen too. Please remember that this is a call-in show. So after the break at the half hour, we'll be opening the phone lines for your calls. Um, we'll be giving a lot of additional information, websites, etc., during the show. So if you miss the details, don't hesitate to contact me here at WERU or any of our guests, and we can forward the information to you. Today we have three people with us. We have two people here in the studio, and we have one person connecting with us by phone. Um, here in the studio we have Ann Sheldon. Welcome, Ann. Thank you. Uh, Anne is the community organizer for the Maine Women's Policy Center and the Maine Women's Lobby. She's a recent graduate of Bates College and works closely with young people to help them organize around environmental health and cosmetic safety. So welcome, Anne. Thank you. We also have Sarah Hart. She is a student at Colby College. She graduates this May. Sarah is an environmental studies major and an active member of Watch Women Against Toxic Cosmetic Harm. Sarah has also created a website about cosmetic safety. It's an awesome website. I've been on it and seen it. It's really user-friendly um, with lots and lots of good information. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you very much. And um, by telephone, Steve, we're hoping you there are there. Welcome, Steve Taylor. Steve Taylor. I am here. Oh, th welcome. Nice to have you on the phone and joining us. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Good. Steve is a longtime organizer and advocate with 20 years of experience in leadership development, campaign strategy, strategic planning, and organizing within the environmental, social justice, and labor movements. He serves as the Strategy Center's campaign manager, leading environmental health campaigns and coordinating the Alliance for a Clean and Healthy Maine. So we have three people here who are very, very knowledgeable about this subject. Okay, um, 
I thought maybe it would be good to divide the show into a, a couple of different arenas. And one is um, the issue. We want to basically talk about um, why, uh, what are the dangerous chemicals in these products and, of course, why are they bad? And how do we know what they are and how can we avoid them? Um, and the other part of the show, because we don't want anybody, everybody to go home depressed thinking that there's no way to get away from these toxic chemicals. That's not what we want to do on this show. We want to offer solutions. So I think the solutions fall into two basic categories. And the one that we're going to focus on pretty much today for solutions is legislation. There's a lot of legislation that's in the works, and we're going to find out what that le legislation is and how you can support it. And lastly, keep your paper and pencil handy because we're going to give you some make-your-own solutions on how you can make some very good and simple um, products right in your very own home for just pennies. So, welcome to all our guests. Um, uh, the name of our program is That's a Killer Look, and I want to start with asking Sarah um, how the report and the activities around That's a Killer Look happened. Well, a group of women got together very concerned about toxins in cosmetics, especially for young women who we do use a lot of products, and men as well. But we were very concerned and were um, also concerned about our reproductive health, even if we're planning on having kids way down the road. So we got together a group of women from with Waterville High School students, Colby College students, and Unity College students, and picked some products that we all use on a daily basis and sent them into an independent lab to be tested for toxicity. And some products came back with some toxic chemicals that harm our reproductive system, cause cancer, and they're dangerous to our health. Not good things. No. <laughs> Not good no. things at all. Just to also tell our listening audience, um, in, in this project, they sent away project, uh, products to California, I think it was, to get mm -hmm. them tested. And what we're going to do during the calling part is we're going to encourage you to grab that um, deodorant that you have or that uh, little bottle of makeup in your makeup case and call in. And um, Sarah and Anne will be looking these things up on the Internet for you and telling you about some of the uh, chemicals that are in your, your own products. So after the half hour, be ready because this is going to be a lot of fun. Okay. So tell us a little bit more about the project and how you got involved in it. I started doing an internship a couple years ago with the Alliance for Clean and Healthy Maine and Environmental Health Strategy Center, looking up scientific studies on toxic chemicals and consumer products, and I created a database of scientific studies. And that led to another internship over the summer and throughout this year, this school year, to create this website that compiles legislative information, health information of these toxic chemicals, and things like that. So. Excellent, excellent. Um, and how did you get involved in this, and, and why do you think their project was an important one? Sure. Well, we're part of the, or as the Maine Women's Lobby um, and Maine Women's Policy Center, we're part of the Alliance for Clean and Healthy Maine, um, which was instrumental in writing and producing this report. And the Alliance for Clean and Healthy Maine is a group of over 40 organizations in Maine that get together to advocate for needed reform in our environmental health policies. And, and the Maine Women's Lobby, the reason that we're interested in 
this project and the reason that we're active in the Alliance for Clean and Healthy Maine is because so many of the products that we're exposed to every day have very negative um, health effects on our reproductive health and particularly women's health. So that's kind of the angle that we came to be interested in it in this environmental health work in general. Um, we particularly started working on the Safe Cosmetics work and working with young women because young women are such an important voice in this issue. Um, if you see, I mean, we're all harmed by toxic chemicals in our everyday products, but disproportionately um, young women seeing that the impact is hormone disruption, infertility, fertility challenges, uterine cancer, breast cancer. That's, you know, a few on the laundry list. Not of good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's kind of the angle that we're coming from. And we think that young women are such an important voice on this issue because as young women, I mean, I could say I'm 23. I'm kind of one myself for sure. And these are the issues. The policies we have right now regulating kind of our body and the products we're exposed to are going to impact us later on for sure. Um, and so it's really important to bring young people to the table in shaping this. Mm -hmm. And once you learn about these issues, it's very motivating to get involved. Mm -hmm. Well, and also one of the things that struck me in, in talking to both of you um, before the show is the idea that these chemicals are uh, cumulative in your body. I mean, is that, is that true? And the other thing is I thought back on my high school chemistry, and I think it was something that you said, Anne, where if you take some of these chemicals and mix them with other chemicals, you end up with uh, something totally different mm -hmm. that separately they might not be harmful, but together they might not be good at all. So can you, can you speak to that a little bit? And they can react with other chemicals in your body as well. Um, I, one example is lipstick has been found to have lead in it and lead is a neurotoxin that makes us crazy and it can accumulate in our bodies over time. You, you know, I heard about that years ago and I, I just assumed that probably the lead was taken out. There's still lead in lipstick? There's still minute traces of lead in lipstick. I, I can hardly believe it. So are you saying that if you have lead in your lipstick and you use uh, something in your nail polish that there could be, those chemicals could meet someplace in your body and not do in a good thing? Mm -hmm. in, Nail polish, there's actually, some of them have formaldehyde, which according to the International Agency for Research on Carcinogens, as well as the U.S. National Toxicology Program, they've declared it a, a carcinogen. It's just amazing that this still exists in these products and the, these are sold to the public. Okay. And we, we want to, um, I, I would like both of you, or maybe Steve, we don't want to uh, leave you out of this. I know you're the, you're the science guy out there. Um, we also want to speak to the guys, um, because it isn't just a women's issue. How does this affect men? Anybody want to well, answer that? Go. Steve? Yeah, I mean, maybe I'll say a, a couple of words. Um, you know, we actually had an event in Portland yesterday with a group of young men um, sharing their concerns about what we're learning about how toxic chemicals and everyday products can affect men's reproductive health and can actually affect the health of any children they might father uh, later in those children's lives. Um, you know, the, the best science um, at the moment is pointing us in certain very clear directions. And one of those directions is that very small amounts of certain chemicals especially the chemicals that act in our body like hormones, can actually cause um, 
large health impacts. And we're finding um, reproductive health impacts uh, from different chemicals in both women and men, or in some cases in one gender or not the other. So um, some of the health impacts linked to chemicals like, you know, phthalates, which are very commonly used in personal care products, uh, perfluorinated nonstick chemicals, uh, a chemical called bisphenol A. You know, we're finding reproductive health problems in young men ranging from, uh, you know, lowered sperm count, abnormal testicles, um, testicular cancer, um, you know, reduced sperm motility, um, you know, a, a whole set of reproductive health impacts that can be caused by, you know, fairly, you know, small exposures to some of these chemicals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it seems to me, and I know from talking to Ann about this, that, um, uh, over in Europe, the, the EU has addressed this quite effectively, and we'll, we'll get into this more when we talk about legislation. But um, could you speak to that a little bit? It seems like this is not an impossible task. Why, why has this not been dealt with before more effectively? Um, you know, I know, you know, Sarah researched this some as well, so, um, you know, we, we should ask Sarah to weigh in. Um, sure. I would say my, you know, my short answer um, is that, you know, in a lot of cases it's been, you know, the money and the lobbying clout of the international chemical industry that's blocked reform. Um, but, you know, the good news is that the processes and the policies to do something about this problem are not very complicated. Um, these are being modeled not only in the European Union and in some other countries, but also in several states, including Maine. Um, Two years ago, in 2008, um, Maine passed um, what's called the Kids Safe Products Act. And so that law set up a system for our state to work with other states and existing information uh, to identify chemicals that are already known to be hazardous to children and young people and prioritize the worst of those chemicals for, you know, first, disclosure to consumers, second, um, research into safer alternatives, and third, uh, possible phase-outs in favor of those safer alternatives. And so that law in Maine is starting to be implemented now. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, the EU and, and other states and other countries have also found some commonsensical ways to, to tackle the problem. But, um, you know, Sarah and Ian may have other, other information they want to share as well. Now, the European Union has the Cosmetics Directive, and they have have a complete ban on over 1,300 chemicals for use in cosmetics And how, how many have we banned so far? <laughs> the FDA has only banned 11. 11. <laughs> 11. Uh, there's a problem. Yeah. And there's over 80,000 chemicals that are in use, mm -hmm. and the FDA has only banned 11. Mm -hmm. um, the European Union takes a more precautionary approach to it. The manufacturers need to register the chemicals and have the safety data and prove it safe. In other words, they have used. to prove it safe rather than saying anything goes and you have to prove it unsafe before you can get rid of it. <laughs> exactly. And oh. to jump in for another comparison to the U.S., as Sarah mentioned, there are over 80,000 chemicals that have been I released in the environment through human activity in the past 70 years. Only 85% um, of those chemicals have not been assessed for possible effects on human health. So, you know, one, 
Yeah. One other really instructive comparison, and not not to overload <laughs> your listeners with too much information, but um, you know, if you think about uh, pharmaceutical products, medicines, and drugs, we know that those are going to end up in people's bodies. That's where they're designed to go. We also know that many of the you know 100,000 chemicals that might be used in in consumer products are also going to escape from those products and end up in our bodies. Um, there's a very, uh, a very thorough multi-stage system for testing pharmaceutical products. Um, you know, they, they go through lab trials, animal trials, and eventually human clinical trials. Um, Eighty percent of the pharmaceuticals that make it to the last clinical trial stage never make it to market because they're found to be unsafe. So, you know, less than 20 percent of the medicines that start um, the first stages of testing actually reach the market. Um, on the other hand, only five chemicals have ever been restricted under you know, the, the broken federal law that's supposed to protect us from chemicals in everyday products. Mm -hmm. And I know uh, what isn't, isn't your skin the largest organ in your body in that you were, whatever you put on it. I've, I've often heard people say, don't put anything on your skin that you wouldn't eat. <laughs> because it's really going, it's really going in your body. So yeah. it's, it sounds like there's a major, major gap here. In Maine, they did a body burden study of different citizens of Maine, including Hannah Pingree, the Speaker of the House, and they found measurable levels of 36 different chemicals that are toxic in the body of Maine people. And they also yeah. did the head of Mafka, and he yes. had toxic chemicals. I, yeah, I, re I remember reading that about, about um, yes, about Mafka. So these are, these are in the environment, but we kind of overlook, I think, the, the skincare things and the, the things we put on our skin, because we tend to think, oh, those, you just wash those off. They, they really are going into your body with everything, with everything else. Well, now that we've totally scared everyone about this subject, <laughs> um, uh, I'd like to sort of look at what consumers and what our listeners could do, because yes, this legislation is something that we need, but in the meantime, um, how can, let's address the issue of how consumers can be knowledgeable in their own purchasing of, of products. Um, Anne, do you want to speak to that? Sure. I mean, I guess I think an important segue for that is, um, so we were talking kind of about how there's a lack of um, political regulation of the products that we use every day. Um, so what we say as kind of advocates on this issue is that consumers have two important roles. Um, and one of them, which I think it would be great if Steve could talk to a bit, is to advocate for better um, chemical policy reform. And... Um, the, as Steve mentioned, the Kids Safe Product Act, uh, that's kind of a, a first step where what we could take in Maine, that's something that we could do um, to address a lot of the chemicals that are in our personal care products. Steve, do you want to talk a little bit about the list of priority chemicals? And then I could give us a, a website and encourage everyone to take action ar around that. Sure, absolutely. Um, the, you know, I saw a, uh, a, a fake newspaper headline a couple of weeks ago. Um, that said, you know, 30 million people each say, who cares if I throw away one plastic bottle, um, which was a really kind of nice, funny way of pointing out that individual actions add up to major impacts when they're taken by a lot of people together. Um, and so they know that's what organizations like the Alliance for a Clean and Healthy Maine 
and the Environmental Health Strategy Center and um, the Women's Policy Center and Maine Women's Lobby do is help people take concrete actions that um, will allow them to work with a lot of other people and make a major impact. And so, you know, some of the, the processes proceeding right now that Ian mentioned that uh, people can actually make a big impact on with just a couple of minutes of their time are the implementation of the Maine Kids Safe Products Law that I mentioned earlier. Um, the Maine Department of Environmental Protection is required sometime this year to name the first round of what are called priority chemicals in Maine. And those chemicals are going to be the first ones. So those that, are the bad guys. The bad guys, exactly. Yeah. Um, and you might even say the, the worst of the worst bad guys. You know, the, these are the Darth Vader's of chemicals. <laughs> um, not, not just the stormtroopers, not just the imperial generals, but the, the Darth Vader's um, um, well, I'm outing myself as a science fiction geek here. Um, <laughs> um, that's okay. It's pretty uh, good. Yeah, that's all right. Um, but, you know, uh, last year, um, Maine produced a list of 1,700 chemicals that are already proven by some reputable government body um, to be harmful to children. So there's now an official Maine list of over 1,700 chemicals proven harmful to children. What's going to happen this year is that Maine is going to pick um, the first few chemicals from that bigger list as the highest priorities to take immediate action on. And once those chemicals are chosen, uh, manufacturing companies and distributors are going to have to tell us which of their products they use these chemicals in. They're also going to have to research whether there's a safer chemical they could be using. Mm -hmm. And based on the results of that disclosure and that research, Maine will then know, um, you know, are we prepared to actually phase out and ban any of those chemicals in any products? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the Maine Department of Environmental Protection needs to know what um, Maine citizens are thinking and what they care about. Um, Maine elected officials know that getting dangerous chemicals out of everyday products is an incredibly high priority for the people of Maine. Because, you know, the, the department needs to know that the public is behind it. They need encouragement and direction from the public. And our elected officials need to know, especially in an election year, that Mainers want this program to move forward, and they want the legislature to give it the resources it needs to be effective. So, you know, there's ways that people can plug into that campaign, can send messages to um, their elected officials, um, you know, can, can get involved and in relatively small amounts of time make a big difference. Mm -hmm. um, and just if you're interested in doing that, we have a website um, that we could send you to, and then we could talk about kind of contextualizing this by talking about local products and small businesses in Maine and how to make your own product. Give that website. But the website is um, www.mainewomen.org/slash-996.html. Um, and you, if you go to that website, um, it's pretty easy. You could just click a link, and it'll be pretty easy for you to send um, a form email to Commissioner Littell and encourage him to 
uh, include some of the chemicals that are the Darth Vader of our makeup and shampoo <laughs> to the list of priority chemicals. And, and Sarah, would you also give your website? It's web.colby.edu slash clean makeup. It's a great website. I just had great fun on it. You, you'll, it's very user-friendly and, and just these are both really great websites. Thank you. Um, for anybody who is just tuning in to WERU this morning, this is Healthy Options, and we are talking about those uh, nasty chemicals that exist uh, kind of hidden and lurking, Darth Vader style, in our skincare products, uh, cosmetics, shampoos, deodorants, and so on. And this is a call-in show, so at the uh, half hour, we'll take a little break, and after that, we will be encouraging you to call in and ask questions questions of the people that are here with us today and also if you have products that you um, would like to ask the panelists about the ingredients in them, um, grab that shampoo bottle and call us and they will look it up on the website and tell us um, from their vast door of knowledge and experience whether you should be using this product or what's in it. I think it gets a little daunting because we, well, we have a very savvy um, group of listeners in WERU and I think people will um, respond to connecting up with the, their um, elected officials to talk about things like the Kids Safe Products Act. Um, we also want to give them some hints about what to look for on those labels. Are there um, particular words, like if we knew three or four different words that if you saw that in the label, you would go, no, I'm not going to buy this. Is that Ca possible? Yes. Um, look for par parabens. Um, and they're usually in like methylparaben, butylparaben. There's a bunch of different words, but the end of the word is paraben, and those are that's an endocrine disrupting chemical. Okay. And when reading labels, you also have to be careful for the terms organic and natural. Um, what do those mean or not mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, the FDA has no standard for what those exactly mean. Mm -hmm. They can be put on any label without actually containing organic ingredients. So. So, I mean, some definitely may be completely organic, but you have to look at the ingredient so list yourself. natural means nothing. Organic, does that mean anything better than natural or not even, is that in the same category as natural? Just forget it. Well, you, you just have to look at the ingredients. Um, some, maybe 90% of the ingredients may be natural, and then the other 10% can be synthetic. Even if it says certified organic, different certification companies have different criteria for cer certification. So there's no national standard to Correct. be able to use the word organic. Correct. And of course, natural is just out there. It just doesn't really mean anything. Cutesy little word that people yeah. like to read, but the really, U yeah. The USDA organic does have the most strict criteria mm -hmm. for certification of organic products, though. Now, what about the phthalates that we keep hearing about? What are those? Phthalates are an endocrine-disrupting chemical. Um, as Steve talked about earlier. The tricky thing about phthalates is they can be in fragrances. And you do not need to list the ingredients of your fragrance on the label. You can have perfume or fragrance listed without the specific ingredients. So phthalates can be contained in a product but it's not on the label. Yeah, this is, uh, I'm talking to you the other day, and it mm -hmm. sounds like this is the um, industrial loophole here because um, as I understand it, fragrance, you're allowed to say fragrance and that's your trade secret? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean. Explain that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, yeah, I guess that's just it. Sarah covered it. A fragrance could mean up to 12 different toxic chemicals, um, but the company is not required to say on the label what is actually under that umbrella term fragrance. Um, and when you say industrial loophole, I think it's important to point out that that's perfectly legal. You know, these companies are just following the law and doing what's, um, mm -hmm. what is the law, so. Some companies have taken on the, and put phthalate-free on their bottle. Mm -hmm. So they may have yeah. fragrance in it, but they'll have phthalate-free. Okay, okay. So we know phthalates... It is worth noting <laughs> um, you know, that one of the products we tested mm -hmm. um, in um, February and March was a nail enamel that actually um, was labeled as formaldehyde-free, but we found it contained formaldehyde in it. So, um, you know... I want to, you know, trusting what mainstream companies put on their, on their bottles, <laughs> um, you know, is a personal decision. Mm -hmm. So I guess with any, um, with any laws or any legislation, it's fine to have legislation on the books, but there's also the issue of how enforceable is it and how is it enforced. I mean, it sounds like that's what you're saying. Right, and just also that, um, you know, as, as um, Sarah said, um, you know, some companies, certainly not all of them by any means, but, you know, some look for ways around requirements. So, the, you know, the particular issue with formaldehyde, for example, is, um, you know, many companies will use as ingredients in their personal care products uh, chemicals that are used as preservatives that they know will break down and release formaldehyde into the product. But, you know, they, they do that because they don't want to list formaldehyde on the label. So instead, they include a chemical that they know will re release formaldehyde. Well, you know, I have to say, as um, a consumer and studying up on doing this show, I kind of first thought, oh, well, if I just learn how to read the label, I'll be okay. But yeah. after talking to all of you, uh, I don't feel like reading the label is really so much the answer I mean, I don't feel like as a consumer, I'm really going to get honest information that I can understand. So, so maybe what we have to do is go to the positive side of it and say, what, what companies or what products, who, who's addressing this even without the legislation? Is that happening now? I mean, yeah, I would like to say that um, that is happening, and definitely small businesses in Maine are blazing the way. Um, one of the examples um, in the study that we did, the report, That's a Killer Look, which, by the way, you could find on cleanandhealthyme.org, um, has Burt's Bees as an example. Um, and Burt's Bees is one of those that has fragrance on the back of the bottle. So we, we were like, oh, perhaps, you know, trade secret, perhaps we'll ha find some phthalate, phthalates in this. Um, and we did not. Um, and as most of you probably know, Burt's Bees is a company that started in Maine and um, is really set setting an example for where cosmetic and personal care products companies can go um, with effective political guidance, I would like to add. Um, but yeah, there are definitely lots of small businesses in Maine that are doing the right thing. Well, in the second part of the show, we're going to take a look at some of those companies, um, some of the uh, the products that really are more safe or ones that you can trust a little bit more. Um, we're going to take a short break and after we come back after the break, uh, we would like you to call. I'll give you the call-in number now and then I'll give it to you again after the break. It's 
866-625-9378. That's 866-625-9378. So during the break, go run and grab your deodorant bottle or something out of your makeup case and call us, and we will look it up and tell you um, we've got the experts here, and they'll tell you what they think of it. So this is Healthy Options. Uh, we'll take a little break, and we'll be back shortly. This is Healthy Options. This morning, we're talking about, the name of our show is That's a Killer Look, and we're talking about those nasty chemicals that are found in skincare products. And we have three people here who are very knowledgeable about this subject. We're talking about the products themselves, and we're also talking about uh, pending and current legislation and what we can do to make these products or make our skincare products safer for all of us. We have three people with us this morning, and this is a call-in show. Um, the number to call in is 866-625-9378. So please call us. Um, we are offering that you can grab um, your shampoo or your hair conditioner or whatever kind of skincare products you happen to use and just go to the phone, call us up, and we will look them up uh, and give our opinions. Um, the panelists will tell you what they think of your products. And we're also going to talk about, hey, that's the name of the show, Healthy Options. What can you do if there are not healthy things out there for you? And please stay tuned because at the end of the show, we are going to give you two recipes that are about make your own products. One will be for laundry detergent, and the other is going to be for shampoo. So uh, we have a caller on the line. Caller, would you like to go ahead? Hi. I wanted to first thank you for the show. This is really great, and it's wonderful to have such knowledgeable people on your panel. Thank you for um, calling. Um, my question is about um, 
uh, sun tanning lotion, um, the sunblock. Um, that's one thing. There's such a push to protect your sun, your skin from sun uh, from the sun and skin cancer, and to slather yourself with um, sunblock. And um, but then I've also heard that there's some toxic chemicals in some sunblocks, and I wonder if the panel could address sunblocks and. Um, I'm going to hang up and listen to the response. Excellent question. Thank you. Um, oxybenzone is a toxic chemical that's found in many, many sunscreens. Um, sunscreen is definitely a hard one. It, probably the best option is to cover yourself up and stay, stay in the shade. <laughs> it's cheap, too. <laughs> um, but some products do not have oxybenzone in it. So look for non-oxybenzone protein products. Great. Thank you. Okay. Um, any, any particular kinds that uh, things we should look for in uh, sunblock, or is it necessary to use sunblock? Are there good alternatives? Probably the best alternative is long sleeve shirts, long sleeve hats, shirt. unfortunately. <laughs> right, we said the price was right. So that, that's kind of, um, we have another caller on the line. So thank you very much for the question about the sunblock. Good question, and next caller. Mm, uh, hi, it's Jody in Harborside. Um, um, I went onto the Environmental Working Group site to look at a particular hand sanitizer called Germex, and I was expecting that it would contain triclosan, as many uh, hand sanitizers do. Triclosan <clears throat> is being targeted in particular by a number of national groups, including Beyond Pesticides, because it uh, raises the problem of antibacterial resistance, just as antibiotic resistance is becoming a huge problem. Um, it doesn't contain triclosan, this particular product, I, I learned, <clears throat> but it does have what look like uh, plasticizers. And um, so I'm, and, and also um, among the recommended products to use as alternatives for this uh, Germex is something from Burt's Bees, and um, in addition to my question about plasticizers in general uh, and the harm that they do, um, I want to raise the issue of the fragrance in Burt's Bees. I will not use any of their products because the fragrances are fiendishly persistent. Um, if they are long-lasting, um, don't dissipate. Uh, for very long periods of time, there, there has to be something in the fragrance, uh, like phthalates, if not, if not uh, phthalates exactly. So I'm wondering what you can tell me about um, how fragrances are, are fixed in, in uh, cosmetic products. Thank you, Jody. Good questions. Who'd like to take that one? Uh, I guess I'll start and Sarah could finish off. It sounds like there are three questions there. One was about um, the persistence of fragrance and what that means in Burt's Bees. The other was about triclosan in hand sanitizers. Um, and Sarah, Sarah I know, knows a lot about that. Um, and just on that note, I'd like to point out that triclosan is one of the chemicals that um, is a potential option to be on the list of priority chemicals. So again, I encourage you to take action and encourage the EPA to include that because it is persistent in a lot of hand sanitizers. Canada has actually put it on their hot list of toxic chemicals and are restricting its use in products. So is it in most hand sanitizers? Hand sanitizers and antibacterial products. Mm -hmm. So antibacterial Soap. soaps? Soaps, yeah. that's correct. Yeah. Okay. And I would add, um, 
know, triglycin is a really good example of the kind of thing that happens in a essentially, you know, unregulated free-for-all system of chemicals and products. So, you know, it was originally developed as a, a pesticide, um, but the companies that made it have sort of marketed it for all these other uses. So, um, you know, triclosan can be found in, you know, dozens if not hundreds of different products. It's even being used to impregnate um, uh, surgical sutures. Okay, so so it sounds like something to uh, definitely be avoided. And um, the question about the hand sanitizer, are there any hand sanitizers that would would be recommended, or do we kind of put them in the same category as the sunblock? I mean, maybe we just shouldn't use them. Maybe we should just wash our hands with soap. Yeah, soap and water, safe <laughs> soap, certain soaps, yeah. not antibacterial soaps, and hot water are definitely the best option. There are some hand sanitizers that are safer than other. Um, All Terrain has a more safe hand sanitizer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So any other... Um, Go ahead. I, I still want to know um, about uh, ways of fixing fragrances uh, other than the use of phthalates. But you might want to mention the Environmental Working Group site, which has a lot of useful information on it. Mm-hmm. And um, if I can add on one other question, uh, something I just thought of. I'm wondering whether there are any indications of lawsuits as a result of defaming products in the way that Oprah defamed um, ground beef from a certain company way back when? That's a very interesting question because we all know what she went through because she took that stand. That's uh, quite, quite a difficult issue. Are there lawsuits out there pending against any of these companies? No, no, lawsuits against people who, who um, make defamatory statements about specific brands. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Um, do you know of any lawsuits against people for speaking out against the, the toxic chemicals? I, I have not heard of any lawsuits. I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I have not heard of any either. Mm-hmm. I think um, when talking with Anne before the show, it seems like there are a lot of small businesses in Maine who are, well, how, how are some of these small businesses reacting to this issue in Maine? I, I was very encouraged by what you had to say. I, I think Sarah, Sarah spent a lot of time with um, yeah. small businesses this summer. I think she has some thoughts. I think this summer I went around to the Waterville Farmer's Market or the Barrels Community Store and they're, they sell a whole bunch of products that are made by Maine families, Maine small businesses, and can talk to the makers, and they hand make it, and they're addressing this problem by making safe, local products that work really well. My skin is really soft from the lotion that I use. Yeah, so it sounds like it's a great way to promote small businesses in Maine. It's a great way to do, you know, a, a local kind of take. It's kind of like the farmer with a face, only this yeah. is your uh, skincare product person with a face. And many of these things can be can be made at home. Yeah, and I'd like to say um, we work with some students at Hardy Girls Healthy Women and two Waterville High School students um, you know, took on this issue and they were able to make their own personal care products out of pretty much the ingredients in their backyard and the ones that they could find at the local grocery store. I um, applaud that. I, so, I think it's a good thing to do, and but if, I'm still waiting for the, the Burt's Bees fragrance oh, yep, issue. Yes. And so, I'm sorry, I was going to And Burt's Bees, by the way, was bought out by a very large conglomerate. Yes, they right. Were. They were. They were. Um, 
And as I said, we, we sent off some of the personal care products that young women use every day. A few examples were body lotion, hairspray, as well as a Burt's Bees foot cream. And we sent off that particular foot cream because on the back it had labeled fragrance. Um, and, and we wondered, perhaps, you know, there are phthalates in here, perhaps there are chemicals that um, are hidden under the trade secret fragrance um, on the label. And so we sent them off to a lab in California for testing, and lo and behold, there were no phthalates in, the, um, in Burt's Bees. Um, Is there something else that can make fragrance long-lasting? Um, the Burt's Bees fragrances are a problem, as I said. I would not consider them uh, ever because the fragrances just don't go away. I think that there's a huge data gap with a lot of these these chemicals. They have not been, a lot of them have not been tested for safety, too. So it, it, there more scientific research needs to go into testing the products for safety, testing the chemicals themselves for safety, and how they interact with each other. Are there ways of testing that don't involve torturing animals? Of course. I'm sure there are. Yeah, oh, sure. There's lots of cruelty-free products. As a matter of fact, I, I brought some along this morning, and we were looking at yeah. them before the, before the show. Yeah. Um, so there, and, and maybe this is a good place to mention um, the Skin Deep database. Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about that? That is that the Environmental Working Group's Skin-Based Cosmetic Safety Database, and you can type in your own product or an ingredient that's found in one of your products, and the safety data will come up. The ingredients and their health hazards will come up. And also, they talk about the data gap of which ingredients haven't been tested for safety. And they rate it on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being more safe and 10 being more hazardous. Mm -hmm. So it's a very user-friendly guide to cosmetic safety. Yeah, and I think as consumers, we need to exercise the power of the pocket. Um, if, you know, if you're dissatisfied with a product, um, then you can go to this database and find a product that you like better and talk with your pocketbook, talk with your money, support these businesses, mm -hmm. local uh, main businesses and farmers markets and so on, who do produce the products that you like. Sometimes as a consumer, that's a lot more effective than, you know, railing against the ones that you don't like because there are really some very good um, alternatives there. And I suppose one of the ones I'm just dying to talk about is my, my laundry detergent recipe. So I do want to remind people that this is a call-in show, and the number is 866-625-9378. I'll repeat that one more time, 866-625-9378. And we're encouraging you to bring your products to the um, phone and call us and we can look them up online and tell you uh, what the panelists think of them. So in the meantime, I'm just going to give you a very simple recipe. Um, this was one I got from a website called thesimpledollar.com. And it has very few ingredients in it, but you can save big money on your laundry detergent. All you need is a bar of soap, a box of washing soda, um, look for the laundry detergent aisle of your local store, and it comes in an arm and hammer box, and it'll be enough for about six batches. Uh, one box of borax, which is not necessary to this recipe, but it does seem to make the washing uh, quality of it a little better. A five-gallon bucket with a lid, three gallons of tap water, a big spoon, a measuring cup, and a knife. And basically, all you have to do is heat... Um, four cups of water on your stove and shave this bar of soap into the pot of water. So you have basically four cups of very concentrated soapy water. And then you take your 
uh, five-gallon plastic bucket, fill it with about three gallons of water, and dump the concentrated soapy mixture in there. And then really all you're doing is you're adding uh, a cup of the washing soda, and if you use the borax, a half a cup of the borax. And you mix it all together, and um, you mix it all together and leave it overnight. In the morning, you have this nice uh, gelatinous um, three gallons worth of laundry detergent that costs you about three cents a load as opposed to 30 cents, which you would pay with a normal product. So I know that was kind of a, a fast recipe. You can get more details on that either by contacting me, Andre Bella, here at Healthy Options, or just going to the website, thesimpledollar.com. And I should throw in there that the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics, um, which is a national campaign around chemical policy reform for personal care products, their website. I just, I just want to say um, thank you very much, Jody, for calling. And also for Steve joining us on the show. Um, we are going to open up those lines again. We have about 10 minutes left, and we are hoping that people will call. And that number is 866-625-9378. We have another call coming in. Um, we do, do we have another caller on the line? Well, Ann, why don't you... Oh, we do have another caller. Yes, go ahead. I'm here. Okay. <clears throat> I just want to go over and turn on the radio. Okay. This is Margaret. Um, <clears throat> I'd like you to um, discuss uh, propylene glycol, which is an FDA-approved additive for foods and personal products, um, propylene glycol being an ingredient in antifreeze, um, the fact that the FDA approved it for food and personal product use didn't seem to me to take into account um, long-term, you know, chronic, everyday use of this chemical. Mm -hmm. uh, the Skin Deep uh, website says it has very low hazards but has a data gap of 90%. So what does that mean? It means that there's not very much research on its safety or its long-term safety. I mean, you bring up a very good point about if we're putting these things on our body every single day, multiple times a day, if it says it's safe for one use of wash-off, but if, then if we're using it over and over again, it, it's going to have a different effect. And when you mentioned the FDA approval, as Sarah mentioned before, we only have, there are only 11 ingredients um, that the FDA has banned from personal care products. So propylene glycol might be one of, one of many that um, there are definitely question marks mm -hmm. about. Thank you, Margaret. Uh, we have another call coming in. Caller, you there? Go ahead. Uh, do we have another caller on the line? Go ahead. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, that was a great question by Margaret. Uh, I, I have a question. My wife works at the Natural Food Center, and she's always complaining about this uh, urea that's in products. And I guess the new talk on the street is this nanotechnology. It seems to be showing up. Mm -hmm. The nanotechnology yeah. are tiny, tiny, oh. tiny particles that... A lot of there's still not a lot of safety data on how they interact with our body, so. Mm -hmm. And so, w what about the urea? And do you have a comment on that? Or the urea, I I don't know. Um, 
do you is do you know what urea is commonly in? What products oh. we'd find it in? Okay. There's a diazodylene urea that is has a six rating for hazards mm -hmm. on the skin deep. Mm -hmm. the, I think this um, the uh, skin deep database is certainly um, a very good resource for everyone um, to know about because you can check your specific yeah. products um, by going to that uh, that source. And I think an important part uh, issue came up here, and that is that on some of these products, there's just not a lot of research that's been done. And therefore, these things are allowed because nothing bad has been proven about them. Would be nice if our system worked the other way around, that you had to prove that something was good and safe in order for it to be on the market. Yeah. But that is apparently not the system we currently yeah. have. The urea comes up with a contamination concern of formaldehyde. So oh, so it, it's it, linked it, to the formaldehyde. It's linked to the formaldehyde, and it's also a known human um, skin irritant, too. Mm -hmm. Sounds like something you'd want to avoid. Avoid, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and you were going to talk about your, do you have your shampoo recipe? Yeah. yeah so okay, as a, I was going to mention, um, there, uh, the laundry detergent is one example, but the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics, which is a, a campaign, um, a national campaign that does a lot of work around federal policy reform for this cosmetic industry, as well as talks about what you can do as a consumer. They have a list of um, make your own cosmetic and conditioner, deodorant, what have you, recipes on their website. And that website is safecosmetics.org. Um, and I think it's really easy to point out, I'm looking at one of the recipes right now, and it's, it's shampoo. All you need is olive oil, an egg, some lemon juice, and cider vinegar. And that's pretty easy to put together, um, pretty, pretty affordable. I think I have all of those ingredients in my refrigerator or pantry right now. Um, and so if we could do it, we could definitely expect the companies that um, make safe personal, or make personal care products for all of us to do just the same, make safe products. Great. We have another caller on the line. Uh, caller, do you want to go ahead? Hi, this is Margaret. Could you tell me what the laundry soap ingredients are again? Okay, yes. It's, it's one, and I'm, I'm going to say this uh, kind of quickly. There's, it's one bar of soap, and of course, you want to make sure that you know what's in that bar of soap. Yes. Um, one bar of soap, uh, one box of baking soda, of which okay. you're only going to use one cup per batch. Yes. Um, you buy yes. a box of borax if you choose to use that okay. and you use a half a cup of that okay so that's that's the basic recipe it's very simple and I I will say that I made this three gallon batch and I just told uh, everybody in my house um, it's free just everybody use it I, I rent out some rooms in my house so I have a lot of roommates um, so I hope everybody got that uh, we do have thank you Margaret um, we do have another caller on the line caller yes hi it's 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 Margaret here. Oh, um, my okay. phone is falling apart, apparently, so uh, I, I missed hearing what you said. But oh. I also wanted to, um, to throw in that whether or not propylene glycol uh, is, is, is not harmful in the long run, there's no reason for them to use it. Um, I mean, it, they use it primarily as a thickener where cornstarch, for instance, used to be used. Mm -hmm. So one has to look, as you said earlier in the program, at the cost benefits through, uh, well, you didn't say petrochemical companies, but you did say chemical companies. Um, and um, 
But anyway, um, I didn't hear what you said about the propylene glycol. Anybody want to make a comment about that? I think Sarah got before. Um, I'm sorry. I mean, I don't mean to tie it up, but I tried for so long to get through, and it's such an issue for me, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, we're, we're running out of time, so I hate to kind of cut you off, Margaret. No, it's okay. We only have a, a couple minutes left. And, so, uh, Margaret, are you familiar with the Safe Cosmetics database? Yes. I would, I would go there and look it up, and they'll have some good alternatives and thoughts for you. I'm sorry we couldn't get into it right now. Okay, thank you. Bye. Well, we're, we're nearing the end of the show. This is Healthy Options, and we've been talking about um, some of the toxic chemicals that exist in skincare products and alternatives um, to that as far as make your own things, buying locally, buying from small main businesses, and uh, participating in um, uh, promoting legislation to take some of these harmful chemicals out of our products. We want to thank our uh, guests today, and I'd, I'd like you, um, we don't have Steve on the line anymore, but I just want to thank him anyway for being with us. And Anne, um, you and Sarah, I would like you to give your contact information and any websites that you might want to recommend to listeners. All right, I guess um, I'll go. My contact information is A-S-H-E-L-D-O-N at MainWoman.org. Um, and our website, MainWoman.org, um, has some resources on the environmental health issues and political actions you could take right here in Maine. Um, so I'd recommend checking out that website. And I think Sarah has a few more websites mm -hmm. she could recommend. Yes. Okay, um, my contact information is S E. Heart, that's S-E-H-A-R-T, at colby.edu. And my website is web.colby.edu slash clean makeup. And from there, you can find links to the cosmetics database, the Skin Deep that we talked about, and other really great resources on this topic. And Sarah's website is an amazing resource on this topic. It is an amazing okay. website. Thank you so much, and thank you, listeners, and thank you all the people that called in. This is Andre Bella for Healthy Options. Join us again. Thank you.
Support for WERU comes from Inner Tapestry, a holistic journal celebrating and supporting life, featuring alternative health and natural living articles, calendar listings, and a directory of resources. Available at health food stores and alternative health centers, 799-7995 or innertapestry.org. Join Jane Haskell of the University of Maine Cooperative Extension and host of Doing Business on Thursday morning, May 6th at 10. Her topic will be person-to-person business networking. Last month, Jane talked with business owners about...